Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 8th, and our passage for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Rarely a more controversial passage than this when it comes to the relationships between men and women. But I want to set the context for us. First of all, Paul is answering a question, a question about how a man is to stay pure and how a man is to stay blameless in a culture that is dominated by sensuality and sexuality as Corinth. That's number one. Number two, how do we relate husband and wife to each other when it comes to sexual matters and how we are to treat one another? And then we have to answer the question where Paul says, I wish that all of you were like I am, that is, that you would be single. So let's look at the entire context itself. First of all, in the book of 1 Corinthians, when you look at 1 Corinthians, and especially the passages we've been looking through, it has to do with not being selfish. It has to do with living for others and not for ourselves. In our relationships to one another, in the way we treat one another, it's not about us. This is why Paul talks about there's nothing wrong with food, there's nothing wrong with wine, there's nothing wrong with particular things, but if those are used to cause a brother to stumble, we knowingly do that, then we sin against God. Because more important than food and more important than drink and more important than some activity that we can live with or without is our testimony before Jesus. I have often said to people, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, all things are lawful for me, that is, I'm free to do whatever, but all things are not helpful, are not edifying. They don't build up the body of Christ. And after all, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about us, those of us who are followers of Jesus. He said, but I will not be brought under the power of any, even though it is lawful for me. Are you free to do things that are controversial? Yes. Is it best that you do them? Well, probably not. He says, you do not want to be brought under the power of any. Now, what I'm going to try to do is to end 1 Corinthians with a bonus podcast that talks about how we walk in Christian liberty and how we can gauge whether we need to be involved in an activity or not, especially if it's controversial. Now, I'm not talking about whether it's sin or not. But a good thing, things that are not sin in themselves, but because we use them in a way that does not build up our brother, does not edify the body of Christ, our brothers and our sisters, or that we are being dominated by it and it is the thing that we do no matter what the cost, then it becomes sin to us. To the one who knows to do good and does it not, to that one it is sin. And so then he comes to chapter 7, and the question comes up, 
that he's been asked. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, the Corinthians had written and said, Paul, what about this? What about this? What about that? Any pastor can testify and give ample testimony of people asking many times, well, what about this? What about that? And what they're asking is many times, what can I get away with? How close can I live to the edge without causing damage? Let me just say at the outset, that is a sinful and a bad attitude because we don't need to do what we can get by with and that we can do to sear and solace our conscience. What we need to do is that which honors Christ. And whether we are always faithful to that and whether you and I always live by that and whether you and I have failed at that or not failed at that, that's not the issue. The issue is a man will rise or fall before the Lord. And this is what Paul told us in the book of Romans. We need to quit judging one another, and we need to quit being ugly and mean to one another. And many of you have been in Christian churches throughout the world, and you know, especially in America, that some of the meanest people are church members. I'm not talking about followers of Jesus. I'm talking about members of churches who have not understood what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to love other people. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because of the way they treat those who are made in the image of Christ. You see, God doesn't like it when we mistreat one another. And so he comes to this idea of living for others, of serving others, of being a conduit of blessing to others. And they asked this question. The question was, how can we get by in this sensuous, sinful world and stay pure? So Paul deals with that. He said it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, he's not talking about literally physically touching her, just touching her arm or her hand or anything. He's talking about getting into a relationship. That's the whole context here. Now, why would that question come up at Corinth? Why is this not asked, and why are questions not like this peppered throughout the New Testament? I'll tell you why. Because of the situation at Corinth. Now, I've told you before in podcasts past about Corinth and tried to introduce a little bit of Corinth to you and the nature there. You see, every four years, you had the Olympic Games, and they were held, and let's just say that they were held in 2000, the Olympic Games. Well, they wouldn't be held again until 2004. But in 2002, you would have had the Ismanian Games. That's right, the games that were held on the Isthmus. Well, where was the Isthmus? It was just beside Corinth. It was at Corinth. It was like the the All-American or Pan-American Games. And so while the Olympics would be held every four years, 2000 and 2004, if we're just using that as an example, the Ismanian Games would have been 2002 and 2006. In other words, in the off years, every two years between the Olympics, there would be the Ismanian Games. These were only second to the Olympics. They were attended. They were worked for. It kept the athletes sharp. But the Corinthians were people that had good climate. They were very sensual people. They had a real emphasis on the body and exercise and fitness. As a matter of fact, the word gymnos in Greek, where we get our word gumnos, is the word G-U-M-O-S. And it means naked. Now, rarely does it mean stark naked, but it means a loincloth. It means as little as you can get to cover up what you have that is private to you and still be considered 
halfway decent and not stark, bold nakedness. Now, this word gymnos, if you transliterate that into English, is G-U-M-O-S. Well, the U is rhythmically changed. That is, it is consistently changed from a U to a Y. Like hudros is changed to H-Y, hydros or hydros, and that is where we get our word water. And so we talk about hydrotechnology. That's what technology has to do with water. Well, here is the word gumnos, G-U-M-O-S. If you change the U to a Y, you have gymnos or gymnos. And that's the word for naked, and that's our word for gymnasium. Because that's where you exercise, and they did that, and they practiced uh, naked. I mean, almost stark naked. And they did that. The fewer clothes they had on, the better they could show their body and so forth. What I'm telling you was it was a sensual place. Later, decades after this, it got so bad as far as flesh and sensuality and sexuality and perverseness and fornication, that if someone was an adulterer or someone was a fornicator or someone just lived for lust and their lives were that, they were called a Corinthian. They were said to Corinthianize with others. And so this is the culture in which Paul was writing, and they were asking questions. It was a sensual, sexual, oversexed culture. Does this sound familiar? Sex sales. And so it did then. And so he said it would be better if you didn't even touch one another the way that you're living now. But he said, because of sexual immorality and the temptation to that, let every man have his own wife. Why? Because God put a man and a woman together to satisfy that in holy matrimony, in marriage. Marriage is not you deciding to shack up with someone else and just live with someone else. Marriage is a legal contract. That's why there has to be a legal contract to divorce. It has to be done in the presence of witnesses. It's not just you and someone else deciding you're going to live together and now we're married because we're married in the eyes of God. No, you're not. That is a worldly assumption that is not biblical. Biblically based. Marriage is a contract between people. Divorce is a contract between people. And it's done not by just a couple of people deciding to do it one way or the other, but because they have taken vows before witnesses and they have committed legally to each other as well as every other way. And so it said, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to the wife the affection due her. You see, when you get married, we have so disgraced and made sex so dysfunctional and disgraceful that it is now even disparaged among married people. No, sex is good within marriage, not outside of marriage, not extra marriage, not before marriage, but within the marriage bond, sex is to be enjoyed. I'll say it again. Within the marriage bond and the marriage bond only, sex is to be enjoyed. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, what does that mean? That means that we are living each for the other. You see, the more a man gives himself to God, he is better able and better equipped and is able then to love his wife more. The more that a wife loves God, the more she'll be able to give herself to her husband. 
And this doesn't mean that we abuse one another. It means that we care for one another. We love one another. And so it says, do not deprive one another. It's talking about sexual relations. It's not talking about not feeding them, not letting them in the house. This is talking about the context of sexual relations. Affection, affection. God made man and woman for affection. You say, well, we just don't have any affection. Well, you need to get right with God. Because God wants us to be affectionate toward one another. Men have needs. Women have needs. And men, you need to meet the needs of the woman sexually. And that means to make sure that she is satisfied in the relationship. It's not about you. Women, it's not about you. It's to make sure that that husband is satisfied in the relationship. You see what this is? It's about the other. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about our spouses. It's about the one that we love, that we give ourselves to, and we give ourselves for. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Why? That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. That's the only reason that you would not be showing affection toward another and having sexual relations with one another. There's a balance to all of life. But it says you need to come together again. You don't need to do this over a long period of time. Why? Because Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Because it's within men and women to need affection, to need sexual relationships, to need consummation. This is important. And so he says, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. In other words, you have to work this out among yourselves. But be careful, be careful, men and women, that you say, well, well, we're married and I've got him or I've got her and it doesn't matter what I do because they're not going to divorce me. They're not going to leave me. But you can sin against God and open up the door for your partner to be tempted in an inordinate way because you, sir, you, ma'am, have not lived up to your responsibility to your partner. You say, well, wait just a minute. I've got to feel it. No, you don't. You've got to obey. We must get away. We must get away from this idea of I've got to feel this before I do it. No, you don't. You need to do what you do in obedience to God, and God will make up the difference. And it's not a have to. It's not, well, let's get this over with. It is a matter of loving one another enough to ask God to help you with it. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself, Paul says, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, one in another. Now, what is he saying? Paul was celibate. He was given a gift of celibacy. That means he had devoted himself to God in such a way that he did not need nor want a woman. Why? Because they were going to get in the way. They were going to get in the way of serving God. Now, this was the exception, not the rule. God created man in his own image, and he created a counterpart, someone that would compliment the man, and the man would compliment the woman, and they would walk hand in hand together, each for the other. But God never made man to be an island. And if he is going to be celibate, he's not going to be sexual, he's not going to be going after a woman, then that is a gift from God. It is something where Paul was not desiring a woman. Paul didn't have feelings for a woman. He had the right to do that, he said. Do I not have a right to lead about a wife as do the other apostles? That's right. Peter was married. John was married. The other apostles were married, according to the apostle Paul. You say, well, we don't 
don't know the wife's name. We thought that they were partners in ministry. Well, some of that is true, but some of it's not. You see, the partnership doesn't mean that they share as both of them being pastors. That's a Western concept. That's not a biblical concept. Now, you might not like that because a lot of my friends, they're co-pastors, they and their wife. I don't believe that's biblical at all. We don't even know who Paul's wife was. We, I mean, we don't even know who Peter's wife was. We don't even know who John's wife was. We don't know their names. Why? Because it was these men who were called to be apostles. It was not the women. Now you say, well, that's a chauvinist attitude. No, it's not. It's a biblical one. You see, folks, I'm the messenger boy. I don't make this up. This is what the Bible teaches consistently and confluently throughout the Word of God. Now, I'm not going to back up on that. You say, well, uh, well, you just sound like you are some. No, I just sound like the Bible. And you don't like it because it flies in the face of what you want to do. All I'm telling you is, folks, this is what the Bible teaches. And culture does not mandate what we do, but the word of God. Either the Bible is a final authority or you are, sir or your denomination is, or your wife is, or your sister, your mother is. Whoever it is, if it's not God as the final authority, you say, well, wait just a minute, and you're going to try to take me off into ordination of women and women being pastors and they being gifted. Look, I've read the Bible over and over again. I I can learn a lot, but I can tell you, just because God used women in the past doesn't mean that he said that they are to be lead elders in the church and they're to be elders in the church. That's just false to the New Testament. Can they be serving in a thousand other ways? Of course, but there are some things that God says is just for a man, some things just for a woman. See, we don't like this. This, All this stuff just leads to more of this same kind of crazy thinking that gets us to transgenderism, where we say, I'm not satisfied with what God made me. I want to be something else. Well, you can't be, because that's God's business. It's not yours. Now, let's get back to what Paul said. Paul said, For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God. He's saying, look, I understand that everybody's not celibate like I am. But why would it be good for Paul to have been celibate? Well, can you imagine him caring about a wife? Can you imagine him having children? That's one thing if somebody comes and says, I'm going to gouge your eyes out unless you recant your idea that Jesus is the Son of God and that you are his devoted follower and that he's risen from the dead. Unless you do that, we'll gouge your eyes out. Well, that's one thing. But what about if he says, I'm going to gouge your wife's eyes out or your children's eyes out? Now, this puts you in a different frame of mind than it's when it's you. What I'm saying is there's a lot to consider. Remember, this first century, the church is under persecution. Paul's going to lose his head in not too many years from now. And the apostles, most of them died as martyrs. When you have a wife to care for and children to care for and you love them, you've devoted yourself to them, you have the responsibility to care for them, then it is a whole other thing. And Paul said, for me, God has gifted me and I thank God that I have the gift of celibacy. This is what this paragraph's about. Now, 20 is already gone, and I know we've got the rest of the chapter, but we're going to have to go on to chapter 8. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org, then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.